Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Blood on the Canvas podcast, episode three, and as always, I'm your host, John Dale. We got a lot of stuff to talk about this week. I've got John Jones versus Vitor Belfort playing in the background here, uh, and holy shit, if you don't remember, TRT Vitor nearly snapped John Jones' fucking arm in half. There is no way that he didn't break John Jones' arm in that in that fight. I, I don't remember if after the fight, John was out for a while because he had a broken arm, but there's absolutely no way they didn't break his arm. And it makes me think, if we go back, how much different would the division be if John had tapped instead of having that fucking winner's mentality that he has? I know a lot of people hate on John Jones, and there's plenty of reasons to hate on John Jones. Don't get me wrong. And I've been talking back and forth with a lot of people on Twitter about John. It, there's a lot of hatred. There's some love. There's definitely a lot more hatred than love. And I think it comes from a lot of the Cormier stuff. And I'm okay with that because I'm probably a bigger Cormier fan than I am John Jones fan. But at the same time, I love watching greatness. And the the essence of greatness in martial arts is John Jones. Whether you like it or not, he's probably the GOAT. I mean, to me, George St. Pierre will always be the GOAT. If you listen to me enough, George St. Pierre is my favorite fighter of all time, and he always will be. I just think John Jones' skill and what he's proven in the octagon, you can't beat him. He's a puzzle that can't be solved. Anyway, we got a lot to talk about this week. I'm going to talk about three fights that I want to see from each division my attendance at UFC Greenville. I haven't actually watched the fights back on ESPN+. Plus. I'm a little bit afraid that if I watch the fights on TV, it's going to affect my memory of what I saw live. And let me tell you, if you haven't been to a UFC Live, please go do it. They pull out all the stops. UFC Greenville was a small card on ESPN+. Plus, But I'm telling you, I can't even imagine what a pay-per-view is like. Because that was the best experience of my life. So if you haven't seen it, please figure out a way to go do it. I waited years for it to come close to me. And it finally did. And I do not regret it one bit. I had great seats. It was amazing. Uh, We're also going to talk about a little more this week, like prospect of the week. We're going to talk about the fights. We're going to go over some odds. And we're going to be right back, right after this generic computer-generated jingle. Back shortly. All right, we're back. Hopefully you enjoyed that generic computer-generated jingle. Uh, If you listened to the last podcast, me and Tyler actually did a podcast from a hotel room and got super drunk the night before UFC Greenville. We had a great time. The time of our lives, hashtag mancation. We also watched nearly all my dudes get knocked out. If you don't know, we're from North Carolina, so of course we were pulling for the North Carolina boys. And in the first North Carolina fight, we saw Alan Crowder get knocked the fuck out by uh, a guy that I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce his name. I don't have it written down, but even if I did, I couldn't pronounce it because I'm kind of a hick. I don't mean to be. It's just my accent, and I would never be able to pronounce it. But before the fight, me and Tyler went to get up to go get more beer, and I said, man, we got to be back quick. He's like, why? I said, because this guy's going to get knocked the fuck out quick. And he said, oh, the North Carolina guy's going to knock him out? I said, hell no. 
the African dude's going to knock him the fuck out. He said, why? I said, man, number one, I see Tyrone Spung in his corner. And if you know Tyrone Spung, if you watched any little bit of glory when he was in glory, you do not fuck with that man. That man hits harder than anybody I've ever seen. Number two, he's from Suriname. Suriname, if you're not familiar, Suriname was a Dutch slave colony at one point, which is awful, of course. But the only bright side that come out of it was the Dutch actually passed on the Dutch kickboxing tradition, and the Surinamese actually turned out to be a lot better than the Dutch at kickboxing, unsurprisingly, because that's usually how African colonies work. They're just superior to us athletically. But it 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 just happens. But if like Andy Ristie, Andy Ristie's a guy that I watched in Glory. He's a very good kickboxer from Suriname, but he's technically a Dutch kickboxer. They might as well change the name change the name of these guys to like Suriname kickboxers because they take the Dutch kickboxing and make it better. Uh, but anyway, the second North Carolina guy we watched was Brian Barberina, and he fought Randy Brown. And Randy Brown was just killing him the whole fight, basically. I was cheering my ass off for Barberina. I'd pumped up Barberina to Tyler. Tyler had never seen Barberina, but I was like, man, he's a banger. It's going to be an awesome fight. There was something going on with Barberina. He didn't fight to his potential. But also, Randy Brown had the encouragement from his grandma's death. And I'm glad for the guy. I, I'm glad he got that win. He It was a big win for him. But uh, my big takeaways from UFC Greenville is the experience. The first thing I noticed right away is that martial arts feel entirely different in person. You can feel the hits, especially the Alan Crowder fight where he got knocked the fuck out pretty quick. Just that jab. I felt that jab. I felt it land. And even more than that, I felt the punches on the ground where he knocked him the fuck out. Oh, they sounded like a baseball bat to wood. It was disgusting sounding. I turned my whole body away when he hit him that second time. I couldn't even watch it. I've watched a lot of knockouts. That was one of the worst ones I've ever seen. Alan Crowder didn't wake up for a long time. When it's on TV, they cut away and you just kind of forget about the guy that's getting knocked out. And you're like, oh my God, that guy's got a lot of power. Talking about the guy that knocked him out. But when you're in the arena and you see a guy just laying on the ground, you're like, uh, I hope I just didn't see the first death in USC. Look, we didn't. Alan Crowder walked out on his own power. So I'm glad for that. Uh, like I said in the intro, I, I haven't watched the fights back yet. I didn't really want to taint the feeling of being in the arena. I don't know that I ever will, especially after that Korean zombie knockout. I mean, the when Korean zombie come out, I knew it was going to be a Korean zombie crowd as soon as we got there. While we were waiting in line, I couldn't even tell you the amount of Korean zombie shirts I saw. First off, UFC, I got a bone to pick with you. I just wanted a Korean zombie shirt. That's all I wanted when I got there. That was my first priority when I got to the arena, was getting a Korean zombie shirt. And they didn't have any. The only thing you can get is a UFC Greenville shirt with Moikano and Korean zombie on the back, which is cool in itself. The front's pretty lame. It just says UFC Greenville. Like, I want that shit. I want fucking Korean zombie. I want those cool Korean zombie shirts, which I guess you get to get off the internet, so I gotta get on that. But anyway, it... It was a great experience. Uh, when I go back and think about the fight of the night, and they gave it to Duran Wynn and Eric Spicely, it was a great fight. I mean, I, I guess it 
could be different because I was it was the first fight of the night and my adrenaline was going and it, maybe it wasn't enough for me. But I I haven't watched it on TV. I guess it was more of a banger than it looked like on TV. But I mean, it was good. But I would have definitely gave it to Molly McCann and the Queen of Violence. I can't think of her name right now. But I would have gave it to them before I gave it. I would have gave it to the girls before I gave it to them. Just because the Duran win and Eric Spicely fight after the second round just kind of looked like the gas. And they were, I mean, Duran win was beating him to death to the body, but it didn't look like Eric Spicely was offering too much up to him inside the arena. You could feel Duran's, Duran wins punches a lot more. And it was a very clear 30 to 27 win for Duran win to me. Well, that's one of my big takeaways is just you can feel the punches. And I can, now I understand a little more about the judging decisions that you get sometimes where you're just like, what the fuck? That didn't feel like a 29-28 fight. It felt like a 30-27 or it felt more close than the judge than you thought the judges did. It's just because it looks different when you're that close. It looks different on TV. I guess because the cameras are closer in and you can see more of like how the punches are hitting. But in the arena, you're like, oh, that didn't look like it hit that hard. Or you're like, holy shit, that hit really hard. But I can understand. I have a little more sympathy for judges now after watching the fight. That's probably my biggest takeaway is I feel a little more sympathy for the judges than I did before. I mean, I think judging still needs to be given to fighters. Uh, I think we need to get away from this boxing bullshit where these people are judging and they don't really know what they're doing. Because there are a lot of fighters that get robbed of money because some of the judges just don't know what they're talking about. I've heard on Joe Rogan before that there was a there was a judge that asked another judge, like, hey, what is he doing? And the judge was like, uh, that's a fucking Kimura lady. Do you even watch MMA? But anyway, we're going to be right back with our next segment. Enjoy this next generic computer-generated jingle. It might be the same one. It might not be. I haven't decided yet. But we'll be right back. All right, hopefully you're still with us for the third segment of the episode. Smegment. Third segment of the episode. Uh, We're going to go over a little bit of main card odds and predictions for you and the best bets to make this weekend. Uh, Before we go over this and before I go over the bets, let's just keep in mind that I once won $2,000 betting on MMA and quickly lost all of that. I mean, it's only halfway my fault. Because whatever website I was using, I don't remember what it is now, but definitely don't use that website. Apparently, Game One's not legal in North Carolina, so I couldn't even collect my winnings. So I was like, well, fuck it, I'm just going to bet on underdogs, and maybe one day I'll be able to collect my winnings. Ended up losing it all, of course. Uh, But anyway, we're going to start with some main cards and some odds. I got these odds off Odd Sharks, so they may be a little different wherever you get yours. These are just the first ones I found on the internet. Our first fight of the main card is Michael Chiesa versus Diego Sanchez. Chiesa is a minus 35, excuse me, minus 385 favorite over Diego Sanchez at plus 285. Uh, On the second fight, we have Luke Rockhold at minus 240 over Jan Blockowitz, who is a plus 190 underdog. In the third fight, we have Jorge Masvidal at plus 175 versus uh, minus 225 Ben Askren, who is the favorite, and I don't remember now. Masvidal is the underdog in that one at plus 175. Next, we have Amanda Nunes, a minus 400 favorite over 
a plus 300 Holly Holm. And lastly, but not least, in the main event, we have a minus 625 John Jones versus a plus 425 Tiago Santos, which is very low to me because that should probably be higher. I mean, I guess that's a lot of respect for Tiago Santos' power. We'll get into the more. We'll get more into that in just a second. Uh, I'm gonna try out something new here. I'm gonna give you a couple parlay bets. What I think is the worst parlay, the best parlay, the safest parlay, and the safest bet of the night. Uh, the f- best parlay I've got for you for two fights. I don't. Yeah, I've got the three fights here. So the three fight parlay. But we'll go over the two fight parlay first. But uh, the best. Two fight parlay I've got right now is Blockowitz and Sanchez. I feel like those are probably the two most likely upsets of the night. So if you're going to parlay two, that's your best bet. Uh, the safest parlay of the night is definitely probably Nunez and Jones, of course. And then also add Diego Sanchez in there. Of course, you're probably not going to make much money off of Manny Nunez and Jones being minus 400 and minus 625, respectively. But then you got Diego Sanchez, who's the, let me look here, he's the third biggest underdog on the main card, which is kind of ridiculous to me because Michael Kessa hasn't shown me much lately, especially he's never fought on 170, and Diego Sanchez has been on a tear, especially the way he dominated Mickey Gall in his last fight. It's got me higher on Sanchez again. He was one of my favorite fighters ever on Tough One, so I'm excited about that return to the main card. Uh, the n- next we got the best risky parlay for us is Masvidal, Blockowitz, and Sanchez. We got Masvidal at plus one seventy five, Blockowitz at plus one ninety, and Sanchez at two eighty five again. If you're gonna make a risky parlay and you're just gonna try to make a lot of money on a little money, that's probably your best bet. If you throw, of course, I already said Blockowitz and Sanchez, but if you throw Masvidal in there. I mean, Askren Masvidal fight to me is pretty much a toss up because we don't know what we're gonna get from both fighters at this point. It could, it's gonna be a great fight for sure. I, I kind of feel like that one's gonna go quick. I don't feel like that that one's gonna go to a decision, and I kind of feel like that favors Masvidal a little bit. Um, we got the worst parlay of the night is definitely Holly Holm and Tiago Santos. Uh, I believe they're yeah they're the biggest underdogs on the card. Uh, I guess you could do that if you wanted to make. A lot of money off a little money, but let's be honest here. At least one of those, at least one of those fighters is going to lose. Lose if probably not both. Uh, then we have the safest bet of the night is definitely Diego Sanchez. If you go over the card, I guess you can argue between Sanchez and Blockowitz, who's the best underdog there. But Sanchez is a plus two eighty five compared to Blockowitz is one ninety. So I'm going to go Sanchez on that one just because I have a little more belief in Sanchez and the money's better. Alright, so now we're going to get to some my predictions for the fight. And my predictions in MMA a lot of times don't turn out too well, which I'm fine with because MMA is pretty much just an unpredictable sport. You never really know when the upsets are coming, but you know they're coming. The Ronda Rousey and Holly Holm, which is relevant, uh, that one, I wasn't that big of an MMA fan when that happened. I wasn't paying attention as much. I was too caught up in baseball. I was trying to get a scholarship, things like that. But if if I was a fan then and knew what I know now about Holly and Ronda, I, I have a hard time not believing that hardcore MMA fans at that time didn't bet on Holly 
when they seen Ronda's stand-up. I guess you could have thought that Ronda would just went for the takedown and submitted him, or submitted her, like she was doing to everybody else. But if you watch Holly, even then, her takedown defense is good, and her striking is 10 times better than Ronda's ever was. So I feel like, it, I think she was like a plus 1,200 underdog at that point. That would have been some great fucking money to bet on. I'm sure a lot of people probably did and probably won some good money off that. And that would have been a great bet. I wish I was around for that, but I wasn't. Uh, so now we're going to get to some predictions. Uh, we got Diego Sanchez versus Michael Chiesa. I'm actually going to go right out and say Diego Sanchez is going to win this one. To me, Diego Sanchez is on a roll. I haven't seen him like this since like the mid-2000s. I mean... I also have no boy belief in Kiesa at 170 right now. I need to see him at 170 before I believe in him. I don't think he's had a fight at 170. I'm not entirely sure on that. Which Michael Kiesa, he's impressed me before, but not against elite competition. He he choked against Kevin Lee. I know that submission come, and I think it was Yamasaki stopped it before Kiesa actually tapped. And that's been a controversy, but let's be honest here. Kevin Lee's on your back like that and he's got the rear naked sunk in. You're probably not getting out of that one. You're probably going to sleep. I just haven't seen enough out of Chiesa to make me believe that he can beat a veteran like Diego Sanchez who's on a roll. Uh, I'm taking Sanchez in that one outright. Uh, Rockhold versus Blockowitz. I'm taking Rockhold. I've seen a whole lot of hate on Rockhold lately. I knew some people hated him. I'm not entirely sure why people hate Luke Rockhold like he does. I know he's a little bit of a douchebag, but I mean, a lot of fighters are kind of a douchebag. Which brings me to my next point, Paulo Costa. Uh, if you know me pretty well, I don't hate on many fighters at all. I don't really have any hated fighters. I, I mean, I hate on Conor McGregor fans, but not Conor himself a lot of times. I hate on Conor outside the ring, inside the ring. I try to keep fights objectively. I try to just keep fighters inside the ring and keep what's outside to Twitter for the most part. But it's like Luke Rockhold, he's he's a pretty chill guy in interviews. I'm like, okay, I don't really want to hear this guy talk anymore. He just sounds like a surfer. But at the same time, I don't get where the hatred really comes from, especially when people say he's not a good fighter. He's definitely a good fighter. He's a former champion. And you can say that win against Wyman was fluky because of the spinning back kick. But at the same time, he still won. Like, he won the title. He didn't get there fluke by flukiness alone. He beat a lot of guys to get there. He knocked out Vitor. I, no, I'm wrong. Vitor knocked him out. But that was TRT Vitor. Cut him a break. But uh, going back to the fight itself, Rockhold could get caught. But let's be honest here. He should win on skill alone. Blockwitz is a great boxer. It probably even You could probably even label him as a great kickboxer. Uh, I mean, he's okay. He's just middle of the road to me. Especially with the light heavyweight division catching up a little bit and the new blood coming in. I feel like Blockwitz is going to drop down to the bottom of the top 10, if not drop out of the top 10 altogether in the next two years. I see that coming for him. I like Blockwitz as a fighter. I don't know that I watch a lot of his fights, but it's usually I'm usually watching Blockwitz fights for the guy that's fighting him, you know? And I'm sure you guys, excuse me there. I'm sure you guys probably are too. I mean, you don't ever really see a Blockwitz headliner where you're like, ooh, I don't want Blockwitz. He's known for the Jimmy Manuel fights, and I think he won one of those. But still, I was watching for Jimmy Manuel, not Blockwitz. He just doesn't impress me that much. So if you're a Blockwitz fan, I apologize. 
Uh, third fight here, we got Masvidal versus Askren. A lot of people are looking forward to this one. I am too. Uh, in my predictions, I've got Masvidal winning outright. I see the momentum being a big factor for Masvidal. He's, I mean, on social media and everything else, the Darren Till win, the comeback, the whole thing about the resurrection, which I'm not sure what that's about. But, I mean, he's got underrated takedown defense. You don't see, uh, I mean, Thinking back, it's been a while since I've seen a lot of Masvidal fights. I mean, the Darren Till fight's recent. I I haven't seen many guys take him down. I can't remember if he fought RDA or not. But if he did, I don't feel like RDA took him down that much. But he definitely has underrated takedown defense. I saw a video of him uh, just playing around wrestling with Yo Romero a little bit, which tells me he's also been practicing with Yo Romero and some of the awesome wrestlers there at ATT. Uh, shout out to ATT. I'm coming to your gym in Asheville when I move there next month to start training there. So that's going to be fun. But I also need to see more from Ben Askren. I'm a huge Ben Askren fan. I love his social media presence. The Robbie Lawler fight was obviously a little sketchy. I mean, the ending was sketchy. He got slammed on his head. He got fireman carried. Ben Askren got taken down by Robbie Lawler which is never a good sign. I, I don't think he actually ever really took Robbie down. He may have ankle-picked him. But anyway, I see Ben shooting for about 20 different ankle picks in this fight and Masvidal stuffing most of them. The question is, on some of those Askren takedowns, is he going to be able to keep Masvidal on the ground? I don't see him submitting him, and I don't see him finishing him. If Askren wins, it's going to be about decision. But like I said earlier, I see this fight probably not going past... I think it probably ends in the first round or it goes to decision. Obviously, if it goes to decision, I'm probably going to ask her. But if it ends in the first round, it's definitely going to be Masvidal. So that's my predictions there. It could go either way, but I'm going to I'm gonna lean towards Masvidal. Uh, Amanda Nunez versus Holly Holm. Let's be honest here. I'm going Amanda Nunez because I love Holly. She's always been one of my favorite female fighters. But let's be real here. Amanda Nunez is better at every aspect of the sport than Holly Holmes. She's better striker. She's better on the ground. I don't see... Holly's not going to take her down. And Nunez is probably not going to take Holly down. But even if it does go to the ground, Nunez's ground game is probably better. We've seen Nunez on her back one time that I can think of, and that was against Kat Zingano. And Zingano did dominate her on the ground when she got her on her back. But she's the only one that's been able to do that, and Kazagano's probably the highest level wrestler that she'll ever face. Uh, right now, off the top of my head, I can't think of a higher level wrestler than Kazagano. It's definitely not Holly. Holly's got a good clinch game, but she's not putting her on the ground, and Nunez is stronger. Uh, Nunez has been looking straight up chunk lately too. Nunez put on put on some put on some weight, not in a bad way, more like a. Kind of around like the, not so much the midsection, but like the core area. Not in like a bad way, but like a, I can hit you even fucking harder now, which is, if that's even possible at 145 pounds, she could probably knock out any man at 145 pounds she wanted to, which is also scary. I, I don't, I don't think Holly's ever really been knocked out, so I'm not too worried about that. Holly's footwork's too good for anything like that, but I see Nunez probably finishing her. Maybe knocks Holly down and finishes on the ground, maybe by submission. Either way, I'm going Nunez on that one. I don't think there's many ways Holly can win that fight. And lastly, we've got the main event here, John Jones versus Tiago Santos. I'm a huge Maheta fan. 
one of my favorite entrances of all time. I've been trying to find it everywhere. So if you can find that the fight where Tiago Santos is walking in, I want to say it's against Eric Anders, but they've taken the entrance off of Fight Pass. I can't find it where he's walking in and the entire Brazilian crowd is chanting, Maheta, 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 Maheta. It gave me cold chills watching it on TV. I just want to see it one more time. So please find that for me and tweet me. But anyway, we got Maheta versus John Jones. I'm pulling for Maheta. I'm more of a fan of Maheta than I am John Jones, but let's be real here. John Jones is not a puzzle that can be solved. Not at this weight class. He, as long as he decides to stay in light heavyweight, he will be the champion. People's going to say, I heard Ariel Hawani say today, I'm not a big Ariel fan, but I heard him say today that Daniel Cormier wants to move back to light heavyweight. He wants to relinquish his belt if he beats Stipe and move back down to light heavyweight to face John Jones again. Why the fuck would he do that? What makes anybody think that that fight is going to go any differently? In the press conference, DC said, I know what you think you're going to do, John. You're going to try to kick me in the head with your left leg, and I'm not going to let that happen. What happened? John set him up to the body and the legs, and he kicked him in the head. John does what he wants to do to you. If he's focused, nobody can beat him. If he's not focused, possibly the only person that can beat him is Alexander Gustafson. How are you going to do this? How are you going to game plan for John Jones? He already knows your game plan. The question is, how are you going to game plan for him? My guess is Tiago Santos's game plan is throw fucking lunch boxes at him, hope one connects, and that's pretty much it. One thing I have noticed about Tiago is he does throw bombs and he is wild, but he never really runs out of gas, even in the third round. He he keeps going even even if he is throwing bombs with no real strategy behind it, which I expect him to do. And if he doesn't, I feel like that's probably the best option for him is actually just to be unpredictable and throw stuff. Because if you're unpredictable, then John can't really figure out your game plan. So It's just a catch-22 there. Anyway, I'm going John uh, in this one. He's got the second best fight IQ ever right behind George St. Pierre. I think George St. Pierre's fight IQ is a little bit better, but he is the best game planner of all time. I don't know if that's Jackson or if that's John's adjustment inside the ring. Either way, it's John Jones. All right, that's going to do us for some 239's odds and predictions. We'll be right back with some prospects of the week and who we want, some current events of the week and some fights we want to see from each division. We'll be right back. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're back here on the Blood on the Canvas podcast. We got a three-piece and a soda coming at you right now. We got three different segments coming at you at once right now. Uh, I've created a new segment for this week to add to the current events and the prospect of the week. I've decided to name it. What the fuck, man? I kind of stole a little bit from the Kona Main Event podcast segment. Are you fucking kidding me? But I changed the name, so it's mine now. And if you don't like it, then suck my dick. This is my podcast, and I can do whatever the fuck I want. That being said, I'm a little late on this, but Brandon Lofney, Lofnin, however the fuck you say his last name, didn't get a contract on Dana White's Contender Series after a performance of the night. Because he shot a double leg with 10 seconds left? 
What the fuck, man? Are you kidding me, Dana? What the fuck kind of bullshit is that? Since when is this fucking kickboxing? You can't just say, oh, you shot a double egg, you don't deserve a contract. Ain't a single fight on that, on that fucking card deserved a contract more than that dude. That dude, Brendan Lofning, I, I should probably figure out his name because he's also going to be his prospect of the week. But anyway, Brendan, I'm just going to call him Brendan, Brendan deserved that fucking contract more than anybody. I hope he signs with Bellator. I hope he signs with one, one championship and he doesn't retire. I heard him talking about retiring on Ariel Hawani after this bullshit happened to him. And I got to say, I don't fucking blame him. This is ridiculous, Dana. What kind of bullshit is this? I'm sorry I'm going on a rant here, but in my notes, I actually put, I had fewer rant here. And you know what? I'm going to fucking rant. Because like I said, suck my dick, this is my podcast. Why wouldn't you give him the contract? Because the other dude, the heavyweight that was fat and out of shape... Yeah, he had a great story. He was from some fucking no-name island. He had a family. Good for him. But guess what? He beat another out-of-shape guy with some fucking leg kicks that were hard as hell. But still, how many guys are you going to put down with leg kicks in the UFC? Instead, Brendan had a fucking knockdown, drag-out banger with another guy and didn't get a contract because he shot a double leg with 10 seconds after fighting his ass off and peeing blood the next day. What kind of fucking shit is that? What the fuck, man? Alright. Well, that's that's my rant for the day. Sorry about yelling. But I couldn't help it. That's going to happen weekly. So get used to that. You're either going to see it on Twitter weekly. Or you're going to hear it on the podcast. Either way, there it is. Alright, now that we got that little rant out of the way. And I feel a little bit better about myself. We're going to get into some current events. We got, this week we had John Lineker getting cut. He was supposed to be on the UFC Greenville card. Excuse me one second, I'm going to take a sip of water. That screaming and yelling kind of hurt my throat a little bit. That's better. John Lineker got cut this week. He was supposed to fight at UFC Greenville when I was there. I was really looking forward to that one. That was going to be another fight I was looking forward to. I told Tyler about it. I was like, man, we're going to get... Three top bangers. We're going to get Zombie Morcano. We're going to get uh, Lineker versus Font. And then we're going to get Brian Barberina versus Randy Brown. We ended up getting two of those, and neither one of those were actually bangers. But, I mean, it was still a great card, and it was still a great experience regardless. John Lineker getting cut, though. I know before that he had said that uh, the UFC wasn't giving him fights, which is ridiculous considering he keeps missing weight, and he... Didn't show up for this fight, and he pulls out of fights a lot. Which I know if you have an injury like the cut he had over his head, which is ironic considering he got cut this week, but he had a cut over his eye, which is why he didn't fight in that fight if you weren't familiar with the Rob Font dropout. But I guess it once the UFC cut him. I feel like he was... I don't know if he was doing it on purpose a little bit so the UFC would cut him. Maybe he wants to go somewhere else. Although I wouldn't think anybody really ever wants to get cut from the UFC very often. But either way, I, a lot of people are upset about the Lineker cut. And I'm a Lineker fan too, but I can watch him elsewhere. I think that relationship with the UFC was just cut. I think he also wanted to fight for a title. And I think he realized that that just wasn't going to happen now. After the Sandhagen loss. 
it, I don't think there was any path for him to the title at this point. Now we might get to see him against the Gooch himself in either Bellator or Ryzen. That would be pretty cool. Or we could see him go to one championship and maybe fight Demetrius. Uh, he'll probably actually have to move up to 45 if he goes to one championship. But there's probably some good fights there for him, too. I don't know many 45ers in one champion. Actually, I don't know any 45ers in one championship because I don't watch it that often. I mean, the cards are on at like 5 in the morning here. I'm sorry, British fans. I know you're probably used to that with the UFC, but I ain't doing that shit. You're more of a fan than I am. Anyway, second on the list here, we got Luke Thomas, Chael Sonnen feud. Of course, Chael retired. Uh, that might have been two weeks now instead of last week. Anyway, Chell retired, and Luke Thomas and another MMA reporter that I can't think of his name right now, both kind of came at him. One called him the the worst drug cheat in the sports history, and Chell actually corrected him and said, actually, I'm the best drug cheat, which is the most hilarious thing I think I've ever fucking heard in my life. But anyway, Chell owned him, and he kind of gave him a pass. He's like, yeah, I did cheat. There's not much I can say about it. You got to give Chell credit for that. Credit where credit's due. He, he never denies it. He always owns up to it. And I, I appreciate that in a man. You got to own up to your own shortcomings sometimes. But the Luke Thomas thing, him calling him not a great fighter. I mean, the man had been retired like a day. I'm not sure that I disagree with Luke saying that Chael's not an all-time great. I mean, it's almost obvious that he's not an all-time great. He's an all-time second great. He almost always finishes second, which is that's so heartbreaking for Chael because he tries so hard. He's such a, he's such a great fighter, but I don't know if he's he was ever really. Well, he was definitely an elite fighter at one time. It was just there was two or three more guys that were more elite than he was. He never won a real championship. You could give him that WEC belt where he 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 won the belt, but the guy missed weight, so they didn't give him the belt, which is bullshit. I guess you could consider that, but other than that, he never really won a title fight. He almost beat Anderson. That That's pretty good, but let's be real here. Anderson killed him in that second fight, and I've heard Anderson was riddled with injuries in that first fight. Uh, also, after that feud, whether it was due to that or not, which I highly doubt it was, I'd say this has been coming for a while, Luke Thomas actually left the MMA hour. I don't know what that's about, and he says he has something else coming. But if you didn't know, Luke Thomas in the MMA hour is no longer a thing. I don't know if somebody's going to take over for him or not. I didn't download the podcast this week because I figured there probably wouldn't be one. But I guess we'll get that news pretty soon. Uh, the next thing I have on the list here is Daniel Cormier and ESPN Plus Detail. I watched the preview of it. I haven't watched the full thing yet. It was on Amanda Nunez. Uh, I can't think of who it was fighting against now. It wasn't Cyborg. Uh, it was Michitate. It was Nunez versus Michitate. And it was a good breakdown from what I saw of it. But the only thing I was going to say here about this Cormier ESPN detail thing, uh, if you're not familiar, the ESPN detail thing, um, Kobe Bryant has a detail where he breaks down basketball plays and things like that. So they decided to make an MMA version of that and make Cormier the kind of like the figure stone of that. And I, I mean, I guess I like the Cormier thing, but personally, I would have rather have Dominic Cruz. Cormier does a good thing, good job of explaining things. I just think. Cruz is more analytical, and this is more of like an analytical breakdown. Cormier puts a lot of humor in it, and he puts personality into it. You could say Dominic Cruz doesn't put a whole lot of personality into his breakdowns, but I don't want personality in that kind of th- in that kind of stuff. I want Dominic Cruz 
analytical brain. He breaks down the sport better than anybody else. I know I've said it before, but if you haven't ever listened to the Dominic Cruz Joe Rogan podcast, please go do that now. Go download that and listen to it. He breaks down his fight. I've always wondered about how Dominic created his fight style and why he fought the way he did and how he come up with such an unorthodox style like he has. And in that podcast, he really breaks it down. I love the way he breaks down MMA. It's so analytical, and he can make it to where you can understand it, even if you don't really know what's going on in MMA. Cruz can explain that to you. I just would have rather seen Cruz over Cormier, but I, I get I get that Cormier probably has a bigger fan base at this point, especially with ESPN. Uh, the next thing I have here is Adesanya versus Whitaker finally got announced. I know me and Tyler had a big like debate on it, and we had different opinions. He thinks that Adis, if you listen to this, Tyler, fuck you, but he thinks Adesanya is going to run over Whitaker, which is ridiculous to me. Uh, Adesanya's striking is definitely a different level. But so is Whitaker's, and it's in a different style. It just depends how the how the fight takes place. I feel like if it's more of an MMA style, then it's going to favor Whitaker. But if it's more of just a pure striking battle, like it was between Adesanya and Anderson Silva, I think that favors Adesanya a lot more. Either way, I don't see either guy getting knocked out. Uh, I mean, I guess you could say Whitaker could think about taking him to a ground. Whitaker's, we've never seen Whitaker do that, but we've never seen Whitaker have be even in a stand-up and not and have a grappling advantage. I would give him a grappling advantage, but you don't see Whitaker have a grappling advantage even very much, even though he was an alternate on the Australian Commonwealth Cup team. I'm not entirely sure what that means, what the Commonwealth Cup is. I assume it's something to do with England. But I know he was he's considered one of the best wrestlers in Australia, even though he's an MMA fighter. So that's something to be said. If he wants to take it to the ground, he probably could, but I don't see him doing that very much. But, I mean, he could. We'll talk more about that when the time comes. I was just going to throw that out there. Uh, the next thing I had is the California earthquakes and going into Las Vegas. The only thing I was going to say about that is my thoughts and prayers go out to anybody in California or Las Vegas. If you're listening to this just to get away from from the earthquakes or thinking about what could happen. I just wanted my thoughts and prayers to go out to you. I'm with you. Uh, if you need anything, hit me up on Twitter and I'll do anything I can for you. Uh, maybe not much because I, I don't have much myself, but I'll do anything I can for you. Just know that. Um, next, I have the bloody cage warriors fight between Nicholas Dalby and Ross Houston. Oh my God. If you haven't watched that fight, I beg you. Go buy a subscription to Fight Pass. Even if it's just for this month, that fight is worth $10 in itself. That fight was so bloody. And I'm, I know it, you probably think I'm over-exaggerating after that two-minute rant I went on just screaming at the recording for the first two minutes, but I'm not exaggerating when I say this is the bloodiest MMA fight of all time. And it's not only that, it's a pretty good technical fight until the mat... Literally got so bloody that they had to stop the fight before the end of the third round. Granted, this is a title fight. Ross Houston is apparently, I don't watch much Cage Warriors, but I'd heard about this fight, so I went back and watched it. Ross Houston is the actual welterweight champion in Cage Warriors. And Nicholas Dalby, if you remember Dalby, he took Darren Till to a decision a couple years ago in the UFC. 
I guess since then he's been cut and he went back to Cage Warriors, but he's actually been on a definitely resurgence path. And uh, the winner of this fight is probably going to get another shot at the UFC as uh, another shot for Dalby and the first shot for Houston. I think Houston's 8-0 and I think Dalby was like 17-3-1. Of course, that one was against Teal, like I said. But anyway, it was a very important fight for both guys. And they definitely left it all out there. In the first round, Houston cuts Dalby with a vicious elbow. And usually when you see, I mean, it was such a bad elbow that as soon as it happened, you don't see, usually see referees wait for a minute, wait till a break in the action before he stops the fight to get the doctor to look at it. I mean, this is like two minutes into the first round. Houston cuts Dalby on the forehead and Mark Goddard, immediately calls for the doctor in almost immediately to look at that cut on Dalby. And he somehow lets it go through the first round. The cup man comes in, does the best job I've ever seen a cup man do, closes Dalby up enough to where he can fight. In the second round, Dalby comes out like a fucking cat on fire and breaks Houston's nose almost immediately with a vicious straight right. And Houston's nose looks like a nose. It looks like Cerrone's nose. But thankfully for Houston, he didn't ever blow it. I mean, he was pouring so much blood. It was like dark red because it was getting so thick. And they just kept going at it. And at at a certain point, they couldn't really strike anymore because the canvas was so bloody. Blood on the canvas podcast. The The blood was so heavy on the canvas that they couldn't strike anymore because they couldn't get a good enough footing to strike with each other. So they ended up grappling. And once they got to the ground, of course, the blood just got worse. So by the third round, Mark Garter just had to call the... I heard him say about... He stopped the fight for the doctor to look at Houston's nose in the third round. Probably about a minute in. And he said, "I'm after this round, it's over. We're going to go to a decision, even though this is a five-round fight. we got to stop at the third. We're going to make it a technical decision. Whoever's ahead on the scorecards is the winner. Well, about a minute after that, there's another scramble between the two fighters and both fighters are trying to get up and it looks like they're on fucking ice skates because there's so much blood on the mat. I'm not joking. They stopped the fight with two minutes left in the third round because Mark Goddard deemed the canvas unfightable. Not kidding. So please, if you haven't watched that fight, please go watch that. Okay. Next, we're going to do a little bit of prospect of the week. We're going to do a prospect overview. Of course, like I said, we're going to do Brendan Lockney. Oh, oh, I think I got his last name, Brendan Lockney. That's wrong. Please tweet me and tell me how to pronounce it the correct way. We got some notable wins. Uh, I was going to put titles on here, but I didn't find any titles. I'm sure he's been a title holder in at least one of these. I think he's fought in Bama and ACB is what I recognize. He also had a fight in the UFC and, of course, the Contender Series. He had one fight in the UFC. Uh, so he was on tough smashes. Uh, he was in the final four of the lightweight division. Uh, that was a bad season, apparently. I didn't recognize any of the other names with him. He's definitely the best fighter out of that bunch. Uh, he's currently 17-3 and three as a professional. He lives with Dominic Cruz. He sleeps on Dominic Cruz. I don't know if he sleeps on the couch, but he, I would assume Dominic probably has a bigger house than that that he can afford to give him his own bedroom. But he definitely lives and trains with Cruz. So that's a big plus for me because you know he gets his game planning and all his training from Dominic. And anytime you got Dominic Cruz in your corner, that's a win for me. I'm sure you know by now if you listen to the podcast, I'm a huge Dominic Cruz dick rider. 
Anyway, he's a featherweight now, even though he competed at lightweight at tough. We see a lot of that guys compete up a weight class during the Ultimate Fighter just because just so they don't have to make that weight cut over and over, which is a smart decision. You should probably almost fight two weight classes up, so you don't have to make any weight cut at all. Any weight cut at all, but they usually fight one weight class up. He's a featherweight now. He's actually, uh, according to Sherdog, he's the number 90, 92 featherweight in the world, which is ridiculous to me. If he's that close to the UFC, he's definitely... To me, he's definitely closer to probably like 40, maybe 35, somewhere in that range. Short dog has him at 92, though. Uh, his dec- disclosed career earnings is $10,000, which I'm sure is very inaccurate. I'm sure that $10,000 is probably the Dana White Contender Series. Apparently, that only sure dog only tracks American, uh, American winnings. So I'm sure he's won a lot more in UK pounds than that. A couple notable wins and losses. He lost a close decision against Pat Healy a couple years back. I heard him talk about this on Ariel Wani. He believes he won that decision. Of course, I haven't watched any of these fights almost. His fights are very hard to find. I haven't found any of them as yet. I'm going to keep trying to look for him. I'll update you guys on that. But as of right now, I've only found the Rob Wilkins fight in the UFC. Uh, It was a fight of the night performance. He actually lost that by a close split decision too. All three of his losses are very close split decisions, by the way. Uh, I can't think of the third decision right now, but he did lose to Pat Healy and Rob Wilkinson by split decision. Um, He did beat Mike Mike Wilkinson by win. That's probably his best win. Uh, Oh, there's his third loss. It's Tom Dukenwine by split decision, which is also very controversial to him. He also says that he probably won that fight. A lot of fighters think they win split decisions, and sometimes they don't. So you never really know. Anyway, Brendan Lockney, as you can tell by my rant earlier, I'm really high on the guy. I hope he's in the UFC. If he's not in the UFC, I'll, I'll watch him anywhere he's going to be. If he goes to Bellator, he goes to one, I'm going to support him anywhere he goes. I wish him all the best. I hope he gets in the UFC. If he don't, I hope he goes somewhere else. Please don't retire, Brendan. If you ever get a hold of this, I'm a big fan. Just keep with it, buddy. You're going you're gonna to make it one day. I I'm probably going to be in the same boat one day. I want to be an amateur fighter. I'm going to be looking for a pro fight. I'm hoping I can get into somewhere. My main goal is to get into PFL. If I can get into PFL, maybe win a million dollars. Unlikely. At this point, it's unlikely. I, I have belief that I can be one of the best in the world, but right now, it's pretty rudimentary. But we're getting there. I'm only 23, so i got some time. But anyway, that's going to do it for our prospect overview of the week. Uh, congrats to Brendan Lofney for putting on such a great performance on the Dana White's Contender Series. I just wish that fucking bald idiot would have recognized that as well. Uh, I was going to do a division breakdown this week, but I actually don't have time because it is 4.30 in the morning and my girlfriend is picking me up at exactly 10 in the morning so we can go to my nephew's all-star tournament about an hour and a half away. The little dude is a baller. That's my little 10-year-old homie. Everybody wish him luck tomorrow on Twitter. He is going to be pitching against, I believe, Allegheny County. He's actually undefeated in All-Star Tournament this year. Shout out to Jacoby Dale. You my boy, homie. Good luck tomorrow. I will see you guys maybe tomorrow. I'm going to try to do a breakdown of UFC 239. If I don't get there, then I will see you next week. I will try to get these out more regularly. But like I said, my work schedule is crazy during the summer. 
but there will be more coming, especially once I move to Asheville and start doing training full-time and doing a little bit less work, more training. I have a little bit more time for MMA. Um, but for this, this week, that's going to be all for us. I thank you guys for listening. As always, you can get me on Twitter at Blood on the Canvas Podcast if you don't already. Hit me up anytime. Ask me some questions. Maybe you'll even make it on the show next week. Anything you want, I'll try to answer it. I thank you guys so much for listening. As always, this is the Blood on the Canvas Podcast. I'm your host, John Dale. Thank you very much.